So, um, to dig into this, um, and by the way, I'm still, you guys might remember two weeks ago, I was feeling pretty terrible. Um, uh, one of the sickest I can remember ever being, but um, I got better, but it's just been up and down and up and down, and yesterday I kind of went back down a little bit, so I'm not feeling great today. Um, so hopefully I can keep my head together and dig through this. So today we're going to be studying John chapter 1, verses 35 through 50. Um, this is the beginnings of Jesus starting to organize the 12 um, disciples, or his 12 apostles. Um, but I want to think about it a little bit differently than, we, than I have in the past. One of the things that I used to routinely do on this is I kind of watched Jesus during this gathering process, and it always kind of seemed to me like the, uh, his um, disciples or his apostles we're just kind of like, oh, hey, you want me to follow you? Okay, here we go. Boop, boop, boop. Dun, 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 kind of thing. And it's like, something about that always kind of bothered me. Um, and, uh, and I began to kind of ask this question while I was reading through this um, as to why follow? Why do we follow anything? You know, at work, you have a boss that asks you to do something or decides to lead a team and and guides you to do things one way or the other or encourages you to do things and you follow um, we see this um, in terms of our interactions socially with each other somebody wants you to go to some gathering or party or something you know what why do you do that oh you know lots of questions around why follow um and i don't know, it just really got to weighing heavily on my mind so i will kind of want to walk through a little bit uh the steps that were being taken while jesus was pulling this together um and kind of challenge ourselves on this concept of why did the apostles follow Jesus? Why do we follow Jesus? Why do we follow anything? Um, and, uh, and hopefully at the end we'll kind of walk out with some just practical nuggets um, that might help with that. So um, in 35 through 50, I wrote down a few summaries here. I, I said Jesus is basically putting his posse together. So he's building this team. Um, and... I think one thing that I miss in this thing, I kept trying to remind myself of, is that Jesus isn't just building a team as Jesus would do it. His whole life is an example of what we're supposed to be doing. So we kind of need to look at this process he's going through and think, this is in some way the kinds of things we ought to be doing. It's not just that he was going to put together this um, uh, fabulous team of 12 that's going to do this special thing historically, and then that's the end of that. It's really a lifestyle of getting people to um, get closer to God and be able to hopefully enjoy life better and be able to make the world a better place. Um, and so I think sometimes we want to compartmentalize this process into something that is very much an only Jesus thing. And I think we need to avoid that and really see how, to, how do we fit into it. Um, and I want to focus on this whole leader-follower connection. How does the leader connect with the follower um, and then, of course, ask this question over and over again. As, as a follower of Christ, why do we follow? Okay. So let's first of all step back a few verses. I, I, you might have noticed I had verse 35. We're actually going to go back uh, before today's text and read 29 through 34. This is all about John the Baptist. So let's dig into this. Now, in case you don't know, um, John the Baptist is this foreteller, this person leading the way, this person announcing that this special event is about to happen. Jesus is coming on the scene, um, and you need to get ready for that. 
as I get older, I have to push further and further away. All right. So here we are in verse 29. It says, the next day, John, John the Baptist, this guy that his whole life um, at this point is about preparing the world for Jesus. Okay, that's, that's everything about him. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. John said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I was talking about when I said, a man will come after me. But he is greater than I am because he was living before me. Even I did not know who he was, although I came baptizing with water so that the people of Israel would know who he is. And I thought this was a really, a really telling thing. Even I did not know who he was, although I came baptizing with water um, so that uh, the people of Israel would know who he is. It's this concept that even though John was continuing to walk this life, I see him as not being completely rigid, like I'm supposed to follow Jesus, so that's just what I do. He's already opening up just a little bit of a nugget there, kind of like, you know what? I'm not 100% sure about this situation myself. Okay. says, then John said, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven in the form of a dove and rest on him. Now, what's not being told here is that this was a baptism ceremony. Uh, it's in the other Gospels where it's mentioned this, but this is where Jesus came to him. He actually baptized Jesus in water, just like John had been baptizing other people, and then this event occurred. And then John said, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven in the form of a dove and rest on him. Until then, I did not know who the Christ was. But the God who sent me to baptize with water told me, you will see the Spirit come down and rest on a man. He is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen this happen, and I tell you the truth. This man is the Son of God. All right. So John's why. Why did John believe? His whole life was about this foretelling of Christ, and he knew who Jesus was supposed to be. He knew all these things, but for him, it actually took this interaction. It took Jesus coming to him, it took this baptism ceremony. It took him knowing that something was supposed to happen with a dove and um, this kind of spiritual encounter thing. And that happens. And at that point, through this series of things, he seems to have some level of confidence now that Jesus really is who he is. And if you're, if you're like, well, where are you going with this, Quinn? What I want us to do, and I don't care if we're talking about um, politics or what we're doing, Wants to really think about this idea of not just blindly following, because it's not healthy. Um, as I grew up, it was oftentimes in the in the circles I was in, it was the common expectation was that some person that I was supposed to trust, I'm supposed to hear what they say, and I'm supposed to nod my head and say, "Yeah, I hear what you say. I now believe that wholeheartedly. Away I go." And it was kind of taboo to ask questions, kind of, a, kind of a risk. But yet, we're sitting there looking at John, and we're seeing there that it seems as though he had some doubts or some questions all the way up to the point that he baptized Jesus. And, you know, John's a key player, okay? He's, he's a big deal. And his life was functioning that way. It was a process. It wasn't that he was saying from the beginning that I can't do anything good, I can't make any progress, I can't make these things happen. But it was a continual process all the way to this point where he becomes quite confident um, 
as to what's going on. Okay, does that kind of make sense where I'm going? I hope so. All right, oh, sorry. Home screen. So now we want to get into the actual text. And so the first person in this text that we're going to talk about is Andrew. And um, we want to address Andrew's why. So let's read through this. So verse 35. I'm sorry. Yes, verse 35. Ooh, that's trouble. The next day, John was there again with two of his followers. By the way, one of these followers is Andrew. Okay, and, and just to stop, these aren't Jesus' followers, these are John's followers. So this is the guy leading into telling Jesus what's going on. He's got a couple of guys that are kind of part of his posse, and they're out there uh, trying to do good things for God. Okay, so the next day, John was there again with two of his followers. When he saw Jesus walking by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two followers heard John say this, so they followed Jesus when Jesus turned and saw them following him, he asked, what are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Rabbi means teacher. He answered, come and see. So the two men went with Jesus and saw where he was staying and stayed there with him that day. It was about, it was about, I'm sorry. It was about, it was about, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. So Andrew's why. Why is Andrew going to follow? Why is Andrew buying into this thing? That's all we get, by the way. We just got this little nugget. So did Andrew hear from John, hey, this is a good guy, you should follow him, and they just did it? Kind of. A little bit of that went on. So they heard from, they heard from John that he was a good guy. But there was this interaction with Jesus. So Jesus asks them a question. And so there's beginning to be this personal interaction and then they start asking Jesus where he's staying. Now, when you dig into that a little bit, um, the, the podcast I listened to about this first, they talked quite a bit about this, is that this concept of them saying, where are you staying, wasn't about knowing where he was staying. It was about, we want to go be with you. We want to spend time with you. We want to hang out with you. We want to get a uh, kind of a more deeper connection with you. So why is Andrew following? What's his actions look like? He hears from his friend John that he's a good guy. He hears from Jesus himself, some stuff that sounds pretty intriguing. And then he says, I'm going to dig a little deeper. I'm going to go spend some time with you. Okay? That's Andrew's why. Let's go into Peter. Okay. You guys have heard of Peter, most of you. So we're going to look at verses 40 and 42, 40 through 42. Not sure why he's doing that today, but that's okay. Okay. So one of the two men who followed Jesus after they heard John speak about him was Andrew. This is where we find out that, that one of those guys was Andrew that I just talked about. Okay, back up. One of the two men who followed Jesus after they heard John speak about him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and say to him, We have found the Messiah. Messiah means Christ. Then Andrew took Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, Said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. Cephas means Peter. Okay. And that's about all we get in that. Very simple. But let's kind of dig into that a little bit more. So Peter's why. Okay, so first of all, 
the first thing that happened was Peter's brother comes to him, Andrew, and says, hey, there's this good thing happening. And I want you guys to just step back a little bit. How often in our life is the expectation put on us that all we have to do is have a family member or a friend tell us something and we're supposed to buy in at that point? Does ever have that happen? I mean, growing up, that was very, very common. And that's what happened to this. Andrew came to Peter. Um, he goes on to tell him that he's the Messiah. Now, this word Messiah, we, we flip that around in Christian circles all the time. Um, but one, um, one definition of Messiah that I really like is liberator. Uh, but it's this idea that he is a big deal. He is somebody that's going to make life better. And then to take it a step further with Peter, Jesus introduces himself to him. And they make this connection. And in fact, there's some kind of bizarro deep connection there because not only do, does Peter get introduced to Jesus, but Jesus actually renames him. And apparently right on the spot, it would seem. And so it's not at all, Peter's why is not at all that, hey, someone told him should, he should do this. Or he just met Jesus and he thought he was a good guy. He hears his brother saying he's a good guy. He hears his brother saying he's not just a good guy. He's super special. He's this Messiah character. And then he also meets the guy, and the guy does some pretty miraculous things, including saying, hey, I think we, I'm going to call you by a different name because I, I see some really special things in you. So that's Peter's why. Now, let's go to Philip's why. This is verses 43 and 44. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Philip was from the town of Bethsaida, Bethsaida, how do you say that? Where Andrew and Peter <laughs> lived. And so what's interesting about this is that this, for me, is a red flag. Somebody I don't seem to know much about comes to me, says, follow me, and I'm somehow or another supposed to just do that. Okay, Something we should be a little concerned about. Now, I suspect there's more going on than we know about here. But I also thought it was important they want to point out it's not quite that blind because Philip was connected to both Andrew and Peter, these brothers. Okay, so you can see there's a little bit more going on here. It's not just follow Jesus because he said to. It's like, hey, they also know these two guys, and it's quite possible that these guys are known as being pretty good guys. So it, it seems uh, believable that Jesus wouldn't be pulling them into his team if they weren't. Um, so they've got a little bit more information to go on there, okay? All right, so let's go on to the next one, which is Nathaniel. All right, now this is, a, this is a, I think this is the most interesting of all of them. Oops, sorry, let me make sure I got the verse right. Yep. Okay, so now, oh, stop it. Yeah, what the fuck? All right. Okay. Whoops, sorry. Verse 45. There we go. So now, um, so Philip then, and so you see a chain of events happening here, why they're telling this in a particular order. So Philip then finds, or Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the man that Moses wrote about in the law. And the prophets also wrote about him. He's Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. But Nathanael said to Philip, 
Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip answered, Come and see. As Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said, Here is truly an Israelite. There is nothing false in him. Okay, now that's going to get your attention right away if you're trying to be a good Israelite and this guy that you have no clue who he is seems to already be connected to you. Verse 48 there, it says, Nathanael asked, How do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you when you were under the fig tree before Philip told you about, before, before Philip told you about me. Then Nathanael said to Jesus, Teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Then Jesus said to Nathanael, Do you believe simply because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. All right. So Nathanael's why. So with Nathaniel, it's a much more intriguing story. So his uh, friend, apparently friend, somebody that knew him, uh, Philip tells him about this situation. And I love it because Nathaniel questions it. He does exactly what he should do. He's like, wait a minute, this guy is from Nazareth? Right. Was Nazareth or Bethlehem? I always get those two confused. Nazareth. This guy's from Nazareth? Nothing good can come from there? You know, it's like, how bold are any of us today to say, ah, should I believe in Jesus? Should I buy into that? And it almost seems offensive. It almost seems like something maybe we shouldn't be doing. Um, I, I actually think that I have found that, that as I get more healthy on these types of topics and I get more comfortable challenging things in life, I really thoroughly enjoy it when someone questions me, when I tell somebody something and they say back to me, huh, that seems a little skeptical. I'd like to question you about it. I actually kind of like it because I feel like that's proof that they're willing to invest in this thing. And so I think it's perfectly safe to do that. Um, you could disagree with me on that. Um, so Nathaniel questions. Then Jesus speaks directly to him. I actually wrote here he speaks into him because he starts telling him things that Jesus really shouldn't know. Um, and that's what opens up the door. Nathaniel then believes. And then the very last thing that I like that, about this is Jesus does the reverse questioning to him at the very end. Let's jump back and take a quick look at that. He does this reverse questioning at the very end that basically says, here at verse 50, I'll slide it up there so you can see it a little better. Jesus said to Nathaniel, do you <laughs> believe simply because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. Uh, to me, again, it opens up that door for kind of healthy um, thought process, healthy ways that we uh, can follow in terms of trying to determine um, how we should make our decisions as to why should we or should we not follow. Okay. Good. Okay, so the whys. Let's walk through this very quickly. So John, there was this whole thing. He knew who Christ was, but he didn't really know him very well. And then he has this dove experience, spirit coming down from heaven thing. That is kind of his why. We've got Andrew. He's told by John, then he goes and actually stays with Jesus to learn more about him. We've got Peter, who's told by Andrew about this situation. And then he has this little interesting Jesus interaction, gets his name changed, a whole bunch of things go on there. We have Philip, who he wasn't told by Peter and Andrew. He was actually uh, approached directly by Jesus, but he had a little bit of connection through Peter and Andrew. So he had a little support for why he might... Uh, be able to answer his why do I follow question. We then have the Nathaniel. He's told by Philip. So you can see this just keeps stacking itself up here. 
Um, and then he has this really, really interesting Jesus interaction where he's questioning Jesus, and then he buys into Jesus, and then Jesus is like saying, hey, why are you buying into me so easily? It's going to get a lot better than this. Okay. Um, so I wrote down here, I used to say things like this. So, so here are the facts. Now it's time for you to obey. That's what I was saying a few minutes ago. It, it tended to be kind of my basic theology was you read it in the Bible, you see something, the Bible says you should do this or you should not do that, kind of a Ten Commandments kind of approach. And that's it. No questions asked. You move on. Um, I, I do see it very, very differently now. And it's not that I see my faith as being any weaker. I actually see it, see it for me as being a much stronger faith um, because to me the weak faith is the faith that, faith that would be afraid to ask those questions. To me the strong faith is the faith that says, um, I'm willing to accept that I might not understand something quite right, uh, and I'm going to uh, question it and move forward. All right. So why follow? Um, oh, oh, so first thing on why follow is trust. Um, you got to trust where the information is coming from. Okay, so these are just some practical items I wanted to leave you guys with. So I want to give you an example. Um, I, I despise politics, but I talk about it a lot, so maybe I'm lying to myself. Um, there was a book came out this week about Donald Trump. So you guys hear about this? So it's kind of a big deal in the news, in some news at least, big deal. Okay, there's this new book that comes out. Um, here's what I find interesting about these types of things is... we have to be able to push aside am i right winged or am i left wing do i like donald trump do i hate donald trump you know we've got to be able to push these things aside and just honestly and openly ask ourselves can i trust the person that wrote this book can i trust the information in this book i'm trying to make this a little bit practical for you guys um and i was really pleased this week um in some ways and not pleased at others. I saw you could go to different, like MSNBC versus CNN versus Fox News, and it was mind-boggling to see how differently they were each covering these things. So, so every one of these news agencies definitely were coming at it from a different spin. And they, I don't think, I think they, they struggle um, with, and there's a lot of reasons why this happened. We're humans for the most part, but we struggle with being able to just stand back and ask ourselves, but I read one news article that I really, really appreciated because uh, the person that had written it um, w really went into it with no bias, as far as I could tell. They just said, I'm going to dig into this thing. And it was as you might expect. They were saying, you know, the, the guy that wrote this book, here's a list of things about his past that are a little questionable. So it makes you, you should question. We, we shouldn't just take everything without any question because there are some funny things. But you know what? There's some other stuff in his past that's pretty clean. He actually has a strong track record. He's been around. He's been a writer for a long time. He's done these certain things. You can't just dismiss him. Okay. And then they were looking at the information in that book. And they were digging into it and they were saying, okay, so here's a list of things that, that happened in that book where these are more I thinks or I believes of him. But they weren't maybe quite presented that way. But here's a whole list of other things in the book. They're spot on. They're, they're well documented. You know exactly where they came from. Um, and so to me, it's like at the end of the day with that book, 
what what you learn as you dig into it is that you don't just trust the book. You dig in. You learn. You find out what's going on. There's going to be some things you can trust and some things you can't trust. And it doesn't mean that the book is all good or all bad. It's a human. They put this thing together. Well, for me, when I get my beliefs, my religious beliefs, um, let's not talk a book because that gets Bible and that's going to get real wishy-washy. But as a group of Christian families, the church I grew up in, it's exactly the same thing. There were some things within that community that were really well-grounded and completely spot-on. There were some things that I've learned over time that maybe weren't so well-grounded and well-spot-on. And so why follow something? Trust. Can we trust? Can we step back and have the absolute confidence that what we're uh, digging into or what we're believing is okay? Okay, next up. Follow. Once you trust something and you're positive it's worth trusting, then we start this following process. But I would always say, don't blindly follow. Follow with caution. Um, and actually, I like to see, does it hold water? Can you find leaks in it? Um, again, it's not an all or nothing situation in this. I find that each time I reread text in the Bible, I find I change a little bit. There's something that um, at some, one point in my life, it made perfect sense that this is where that was taking me. And I think God used that well. Um, but now I can take it and look at it, and I can ha kind of have a completely new view. So why do you follow something? You've got to trust it. You've got to follow it. You've got to dig into it. You've got to give it a chance before you throw it all out or before you buy in. Okay. The next thing is you've got to experience this. So this is where um, uh, Andrew, for example, I really like it that Andrew said, I want to go spend some time with Jesus. Where does he live? I want to go hang out with him. Because he's already saying, I kind of trust him. I kind of want to follow him. And now he's going to go experience it. Okay. And I think as Christians, this hits hard. This hits me really hard because I can decide I trust something. I can decide that I'm going to follow it. At least in my head. But do I go deep enough to experience it? How, how bonded am I with Jesus? How much can I really say that I am experiencing that interaction? As I told you in the beginning, Jesus and his interaction with his 12 disciples, I think that's, that's just the interaction we should be having with people around us as well. Sometimes we're following, sometimes we're leading. We could be playing either one of those roles. But we've got to experience that. We've got to dig in. And we've got to be able to start asking ourselves as we're digging in, does this look righteous? And I don't just, righteous is a very religious -y word. Um, so I like to just think of the right. Is it right? Is it healthy? You know, am I seeing things that look like Jesus, that smell like Jesus, that feel like his words about love and connection? And as I begin to experience this, if I start seeing some weird things, I start feeling some hatred in something going on there, or a lot of friction or a lot of fighting, you've got to start asking this question here. Is this thing I'm involved with really righteous? Is it really healthy or is it not? And then you ask yourself, should I continue? And, and I'm telling you, I, I, you're kidding yourself if you think you can't ask that. You've got to ask yourself that. It doesn't mean that I'm suggesting that you would say, hmm, as a Christian, should I ask every day, should I continue to be a Christian? I wouldn't recommend that just because it leaves you kind of unsettled. Um, 
But if there's something you're completely sold out for, something you're fighting for day in and day out, and you're finding a lot of friction in your life from that, and you're maybe maybe there's a family member that believes something differently than you believe, and you're just bang, 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 hitting heads on it, really, walk through this. Can I really trust where this came from? Can I really follow it? As I experience it, is it really, really righteous what I'm going through? Is it really right on? And be willing to dig and check into that. And then ask yourself, is this something I should continue with? Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? There are times I would say within our Christian walks that there are probably aspects of our walk that we could step back from. It's not that we would say we're giving up on it, but maybe it's causing enough kind of roughness in our life, kind of disturbance in our life, that maybe we could focus on something we have a lot more confidence in. There are a plethora, one of my favorite words, there are a plethora of things that we can do for God. We don't have to do everything all the time. And if you're feeling uncomfortable in an area, particularly if you're feeling this happening, bang, 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 there's a co-worker and you're fighting all the time or you're in disagreement or whatever, step back a little bit. Give it a chance to uh, kind of prove itself out. Okay? All right, so to wrap this up, um, before we go into communion here, so why follow? And uh, this was at verse 50, verse 50 um, Jesus' interaction with Nathaniel. Jesus said to Nathaniel, Do you believe simply because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. From that I can say that Jesus isn't saying it's a bad thing that Nathan's buying into that, but he's saying it's going to get better. You're going to see more. You're going to learn more. And I think you can take from that that it's okay because the way Jesus asked the question, to me it feels like Jesus is saying, even if you're still a little uncomfortable, don't worry. It's going to get better. Have faith. Keep digging. Keep asking. Why follow? Okay? You guys got any questions about that? I didn't give you much time to talk today. Because I want pizza. You did well. Do what? You did well. Oh, thanks. All right. Um, so I'm going to pray. We've got communion. Because I'm still not feeling good, I will just let the first person that comes up um, break the bread um, instead of me doing that like I normally would. Um, and we'll take communion. And I assume on the pizza front, do we want to pray? F- it's kind of weird to pray for pizza and communion all at the same time. But um, do we want to... Do we do anything not weird here? No. Yeah, that's so true. That's so, is that what you'd like me to do? Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. Just because it, I feel, said that you got to ask, does it feel righteous? It feels almost not righteous, praying for pizza and communion at the same time. So, it's a gray area. It's a gray area. We, we could agree to disagree. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for the meal, and then I will pray for the communion, and we can take communion. How about that? All right, let's pray. God, there's just an amazing example in Jesus' life. Um, help us. Help us to be able to watch the simplicity and the beauty um, of the way he interacted with his disciples, the way he interacted with the world. Um, help us to learn from that. Help us to appreciate the, uh, the gift of the text, the gift of the words that have been preserved for all these years. Help us to not be afraid to dig in Um, and learn from them, but also, God, help us to not discount them and help us to give you a chance 
to speak to us. Help us to give you a chance to guide us and let us see where, uh, where our walk is righteous and where our walk is not quite right on um, so that we can get away from the stuff that's not about you and get closer to the stuff that is about you. God, as a family, we're getting ready to have some uh, food here in a few minutes. And uh, we just appreciate a chance to eat together and to share good times, share stories, share life. Um, and we just ask that this meal will be a, uh, a holy, holy time uh, with you in the middle of it. And now as we uh, wrap up this talk, um, we've got a chance to repeat this holy tradition of communion. And God, help us to, uh, to never forget that uh, of all the great examples that Jesus did for us, dying for us just is the, top, is the tops. It's, uh, it's mind-boggling um, that someone would do that. Um, it's even more mind-boggling when we realize uh, how abandoned he was in that process. Um, we just thank you for that. We thank you for giving your son in that way. And we ask that as we take this bread and this juice, uh, that we will remember that amazing event and we'll hold it close to our hearts always. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.